listening to a resource from Jambrew Anglican Church. Loving Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us through your word. It is a great joy to know you and to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to do this by your Holy Spirit, whom we love. And we pray now that you would help us to understand what it means to have a world that has persecution and how it is that we can understand you in all of this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the problem of suffering and evil is a significant issue for our world. Uh, for as people say, if God is loving and powerful, then you'd think that he'd stop suffering and defeat evil. And you've got to admit, it's a pretty powerful argument. Because when we hear people who devote their lives to Jesus, only to hear how they have been harmed through persecution, we think, what's happening there? If Jesus really loves his people, why does he let people bash them up like that? Why does he let people kill his people like that? It's challenging intellectually, but when you actually know of people for whom this affects them, it's challenging personally, isn't it? And we hear from some of our missionaries that we have connections with all around the world who are telling people about Jesus in places where that's not a good thing to do from the government's point of view. Uh, we hear about some horrible stories and we do pray for them. But it hurts us, doesn't it? How can it work that there be a God who is powerful and loving and at the same time there be this persecution and suffering? Well, we're going to find answers to this morning and we're going to be seeing them from the book of Revelation. We're up to talk number six out of nine, so we're well, under, well, well underway. We're looking at the theme of persecution. And the chapters we're looking at today are from chapters 12 to 14, and they are an enclosed unit. Uh, they're one of four perspectives on history. And so if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that three weeks ago we looked at the first perspective, which is the perspective of tyranny. Last week we looked at the perspective of chaos, and today we look at the perspective of persecution. Uh, the way I sort of described it was it's a bit like you're watching a car race. And maybe you watch the entire car race from start to finish from the perspective of a camera that's on the side of the, of the track. You can see the car moving in front of you. And then you start again the whole race from start to finish looking from a bird's eye view from a helicopter. And then you start the whole race again from start to finish by looking at the perspective of the camera in the car. And then you watch the entire race again, but this time maybe from the perspective of all of the, the pit crews and everything they're doing there. It's four times, seeing the whole race four times from four different angles. That is what we are seeing here. And we're looking today at the whole thing from the perspective of persecution from chapters 12 to 14. But before we go into the details of the chapters 12 to 14, it might be useful for me just to give you a, a real kind of like a, a too long, didn't read or whatever, <laughs> to give you the oversight of, of how it fits in. And, and that is, it, it starts off with a woman who gives birth and a dragon who tries to take her baby away. But God protects the child and takes the child up into heaven. Then there's a war in heaven. The dragon loses and gets thrown down to earth to cause pain to God's people. And then after that, the dragon gets another beast to help him bash up God's people. Then he gets an even stronger beast to do the same sort of thing. And finally, God brings judgment. And he goes there and he brings great judgment and wrath to all who have been bashing up God's people and killing them. That's basically the whole summary of what we're going to see now. But... 
that's not enough. I can't sit down now. I want to give you the, the, the whole emotional roller coaster of going through the, uh, the book of, of Revelation. It's got weird imagery. I mean, you, you check out some of these monsters and things. They're, they're quite extraordinary. And eyes and horns and all sorts of heads and things. Uh, and numbers mean all sorts of different weird things and lengths of time, you know, this many thousand days or this many months or whatever's and time, time and time. And There's a whole lot of different ways of, of kind of poetically looking at all of history. It's a language called apocalyptic language. So be prepared for a bit of a weird kind of way of, un of, of, of English literature here. But the bottom line in all of this is the Lamb has won and so have we. The Lamb has won and so have we. So if you take nothing else away, this is the key message this morning. Anyway, all of this starts with the birth of a king. We begin with chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of, of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Here's a woman who's described in terms of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And if you remember Joseph's dream in the book of Genesis, uh, I think that that's a connection there. And we're supposed to understand this woman really is basically being the personification of the people of God, of Israel. And so then Israel here, the people of God, is a woman. And she is giving birth to a special baby. And then the dragon tries to come along and kill the baby. Verses 3 and 4. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and seven horns with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Well, what is this all talking about here? Who's the important child of Israel? Well, it's Jesus, isn't it? Can you see how it's the perspective of history, but from another angle? And we read, verse 5, that she gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. Okay, snatched up. That, the, the thing about all of this is, it's talking about someone who will rule the nations with an iron rod. Now, that's from Psalm 2, which is all about the Messiah. So join the dots. We know it's talking about the Christ, the Messiah of God. And so with all of this, the bottom line is that the dragon tried to stop the rule of Jesus. The dragon tried to stop the rule of Jesus. But... Uh, what, what happens to this, the, the baby? And who is the evil one who has tried to stop the rule of Jesus? Well, you know, when you think about it, that's Herod, isn't it? it? Herod tried to kill the babies around the time that Jesus was born so that he might actually stop that king from being killed, uh, from being born. But God didn't let that happen. With all of this, we see that God is looking after his son and looking after his people. And so it says in verse 6 that the woman then fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days, which is a little while, 
and a set amount of time. That's how we understand these numbers here in Revelation. God was in control. And in all of this, the, it's referring really about the first Easter, when it was that Jesus died, conquered death, and ascended into heaven. Well, now, at that point from, that, from the cross, Satan is defeated way back then, 2,000 years ago almost. And now he is going to live on as a force of evil, but with a limited life. This is very important to understanding revelation and life. Because we read that then there was a, a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. The dragon liked to think that he's going to win against, the, against the, the king, but no. The dragon loses and is thrown down from heaven. And we read verse 9 that this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Okay, just in case you're unclear of the interpretation, it's very, very clear. The dragon is Satan, the devil, and he is the one who has lost. But what is, who is his, what's his job description there? It says that he's the one deceiving the whole world. That's what he did to Adam and Eve way back at the start of the Bible. They had everything as good as it gets. And Satan said to them, did God really say... And he keeps doing that. He keeps doing that today. He keeps trying to lead us astray. He wants us to doubt God's goodness. Is God really good? Is it really good to follow Jesus? He wants us to make us doubt God's power. Is God really able to fix these problems? And he wants us to doubt God's word. Can you really trust what the Bible says today? For us? Mm. That's the job of Satan. And it's really useful to know that. This is what the Bible tells us that Satan does. Because when you know what he's doing, it's so much easier to be aware of his actions. He's going to deceive us time and time again. But it's just like this great hymn that we're actually going to sing after the talk this morning. That when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within... Up would I look and see him there who put an end to all my sin. See, that is the power of the devil to tempt us. But the lamb has won and the devil has lost. And so everyone in heaven rejoices. There's lots of singing and parties when you see in the, the book of Revelation. Here's another one. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. They are cheering because the devil has lost. But it's important to realise that even though the devil has lost, he keeps accusing us. This makes sense of these in-between times. The times in between Jesus' ascension into heaven after his resurrection and the time when he is coming back to judge the living and the dead. Uh, this is the in-between time. 
And even though the devil has lost, he is still going to run around and cause absolute chaos and havoc. But his words are hollow. And what's more, in the power of the Holy Spirit, God's people have triumphed. We read that they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. They triumph over the devil through the blood of the Lamb. Through the power of the, uh, you know, that's, it's one of those sort of corny kind of, you know, Christian-y sort of thing. Saved by the blood of the Lamb. You almost need an accent to say it. But it's straight out of the Bible. The lamb who was slain, his blood brought a victory over the devil. And we need to remember that because that has already happened. And we live in the light of that right now. But it's not just Jesus' death that brings that triumph. It's the powerful word of the testimony of God's people. It's kind of like when you stand before a court and the judge says, can you testify what you saw happened? They say, well, I testify that when the car went around the corner, it did this and I'm sure it had its lights off or whatever it is. It testify. God's people are testifying before courts and before people who hate them. And they're saying, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And I believe that and nothing's going to stop me. And the reason that's the case is because it's the word of God that is so powerful in this world. The preaching of Christ is the power of God. You know, we, we often think that, oh, you know, do something, don't just say something. Or that's just, they're just hollow words. No, that's never the case with God. His words are powerful. I know God because I've heard him speak through the word of God, the Bible. And what I do in the power of the Holy Spirit is believe his word and trust him in what he says. You know, these people here are prepared to do anything to follow Jesus and they're prepared for anything to happen to them as they follow Jesus. It's as the Apostle Paul would say to the church in Philippi, he says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Would you be able to say that? You know, if someone had a gun to your head and said, renounce Christ or I pull the trigger, would you be able to do that? Well, friends, here is the powerful encouragement. This is the power of the gospel and it's worth it. Because as Jesus said in the gospel of John, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. And we believe that to be true, don't we? You hang on to your life for this world and you'll lose it. But if you live for eternity, you will live forever with Christ. And that is our comfort. Well, because Satan's defeated, there's rejoicing, more rejoicing. Verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. This is important. Do you see that there? The devil has come down to the earth in great anger knowing he has little time. The devil is angry because he knows he's been defeated. And now with the limited time he's got left, he's going to run around and try and smash up the place. 
He's going to cause havoc. He's going to target God's people. And he's going to deceive people and deceive people. He wants us still to think that he's got a chance of defeating Jesus. Uh, it's a myth that's out there. It's a myth in the world. It's even a myth amongst some Christians that there's, there's going to be a future battle that, that, well, you know, chances are pretty good that Jesus will win because he, he won at the first Easter, but we just got to wait and see what the battle's really like. It's like, no, this is all past tense. The battle has happened. Satan has lost. And now he wants to run around and say, oh, it's nothing, I'm just a fle flesh wound. You know, really? But in the meantime, he is a massive nuisance. And in this, we see where persecution fits in, because he is making it very hard for those who follow Jesus. But the, we've got to remember that persecution is painful, but is temporary. It's not going to keep going. It has got a use-by date. Well, we see start of this havoc as the devil again pursues the woman. And remember, the woman is Israel, which is the church. So we see what happens now. The, Verse 13, when the dragon realised he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so that she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. And there she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for all time, times and half a time. What's that mean? Well, quite simply, Satan, now he knows that he's lost from the first Easter. He's thrown down. He pursues after the church. But God cares for the church and protects her from the dragon for a period of time. He is no longer able to do what he wants to do, and that is to wipe out the woman, wipe out the church. He can't do that because the lamb has won. But now the dragon tries to attack her again. We read in verse 15 16 that the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. Ah, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. He wants to bring down the church, but even the creation of God works with God to see that that doesn't happen. But he's not happy about that, Satan. So he goes against the rest of the Christians, verse 17. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. They keep their testimony for Jesus, which means they do not give up following Jesus, even if they have a gun to their head. And they are the ones who are described as those who keep God's commandment and maintain their testimony. See, part of the ongoing Christian life is about obeying God. You know, we're not saved by obeying God because then we, we would never do that perfectly. We're saved by God's grace. But as people who are saved by God's grace and are looked at as sinless in God's sight because of the blood of the Lamb, we are ones who should long to keep believing and obeying God. See, believing and obeying God really does matter. It's, it's how you can have a, a recognition of the work of God in your life. I mean, Christians keep sinning. I know that because I'm a Christian and I keep sinning. And I know that when I do sin, I, I find myself torn because I think, why is it that I keep sinning? But I know that that's life, this side of heaven. And so I have that 
feeling about my sin because I have within me the Holy Spirit who convicts me of my sin. But I am amongst those who would be described here as keeping God's commandments and maintaining a testimony for Jesus. But the attacks of the devil keep going and in fact he turns the heat up because now he brings this beast from the sea that is under the power of the devil. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns and written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. And they worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worshipped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed who is able to fight against him. Now, what's all that talking about? Why is it that in this vision, John couldn't just say, ah, oh, there was a scary beast. Why does he go into this detail about having um, you know, a fatal wound that had been healed? I think the reason is that he's referring to an, an, something that happened in the history of God's people. at the t- I mean, this is written around about 95 AD. And at that time, there'd been a whole lot of terrible Christian persecution. And one of the worst of all was Nero. And Nero had, in fact, attempted suicide. But he'd failed to take his own life. And he was healed, miraculously almost. I think this is code here for saying the devil is using this powerful evil ruler as his puppet. But it goes on. Verse 5 and 6. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Uh, what, what is this ruler of the earth doing? I mean, it could be really any of the rulers who have persecuted Christians throughout history. But it, as they're reading this, they would have recognised that this guy goes around speaking against Jesus as king and saying, no, he's not king. I, Nero, am king. I, Caesar, am king. They are proud words and blasphemies. But did you know it said 42 months? What does that mean? Well, it's not very long, really, in terms of Revelation days. The devil's attacks are for a limited time. And in particular, this guy just had a limited time in his little innings in this kind of persecution cricket match. But the beast didn't just say horrible things. It goes on to read that the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given the authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belonged to this world worshipped the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. See, the beast waged war against God's holy people. And he appeared to win. So he was given authority. By whom? By God. God's not just not sitting back and saying, Ooh, I've made this world. I wonder what's going to happen. Ooh, I ho- Ooh, 
it's like God is in control of everything. You cannot read Revelation without realizing that. Even this terror, God is in control of it. He hands over the authority to the devil to do this. But before we on, you notice here that the, we read that the lamb was slain from the creation of the world. Even before the creation of the world, there was a plan that Jesus would die on the cross. You know, some people imagine life that, that God made the Garden of Eden and it was really nice. And if only it wasn't for that snake who, who kind of escaped from the box, then everything would be nice, just like the Garden of Eden, and it would go on forever. No, that was never going to happen. God always planned for the cross so that he could raise Jesus from the dead in glory. That was always his plan. We've got to see in everything, nothing takes God by surprise. He is sovereign. He is in control. But nonetheless, the persecution is real and terrible. Verses 9 and 10. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Uh, what do we see here? Don't be surprised by persecution. It's not like, oh, what am I doing wrong? No, 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 no. It's coming to you because you're doing something right. And in this, he says to us that we must endure persecution patiently. We've got to hang in there through the terror. Uh, you know, we, we in Australia have got a pretty light. I mean, our kind of persecution is not a physical persecution. I mean, it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts when it's the schoolyard, the workplace, the family, the sporting or social club. Wherever it is, whatever situation, when we are accused and, and hurt because of our trust in Jesus, it, it hurts us. But there are people around the world, even to this day, who are getting killed because they follow Jesus. They did not give up. And we know that it's a totally normal, normal way to experience the Christian life. Persecution. But now we see a second beast coming from the earth. I saw another beast come out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. You remember the one? He did astounding miracles, even making fire flush down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast, who was fatally wounded, and then came back to life. And he was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. In other words, it's another world ruler comes along and is very impressive, even with, with some fancy magic and so on. Uh, I'm not sure exactly who this person is, but, you can, but I reckon that those who were reading this in 95 AD would have said, oh, we, yeah, we know the one you're talking about. We understand the code. It's the kind of, this is for the insiders, the Christians who are getting slammed. We get what you're saying. 
But the beast doesn't just do that. He controls, their, pers their persecution is so great, he is able in some sort of way to control their ability to get access to simple things from the shops and the markets. Have a look at this, verse 16. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. You know, if you know what I'm talking about, he's saying, let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast. Because you know what I'm talking about if you're in the club. For it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Somehow, this beast is saying, this, this evil ruler is saying, if you are not prepared to to have printed on your hand or forehead that you follow the ruler of this land instead of Jesus, then if you don't do that, I won't let you buy stuff. I won't let you have access to the markets. I won't let you have access to normal services. It's kind of like being without a passport or, or being without a card that gives you access or whatever. What does the 666 mean? Well, I think it's probably true to say that a fair bit of ink has been spilt trying to work out exactly what 666 stands for and all this kind of stuff. I think we've been overthinking it. I think it's just saying that it's just short of seven. See, the number seven is the power of God. It's the perfect power, the perfect character, the perfect salvation. And it's almost like the evil one, this ruler, he was going, I'm reaching for seven and I get six. I'm reaching for seven and I get six. I'm reaching for seven and I get six. I just can't make it. It's, a, it's inferior. It's a cheap copy. And it's just perfectly in line with the one whom the beast worships. The devil, because the devil is an inferior copy of Jesus. He says, oh, come to me and I will give you life and life to the full. Really, devil? You really think you can give me the best life? You're the one who told the locusts with the scorpion claws to go and bring terror and havoc to the people who don't follow Jesus. Your people. The devil is going around there. He's trying to say, listen, why would you want to follow Jesus? It's, it's too hard or it's not good enough. I'll give you a better life. But he is a fraud. He is a cheap copy. It's a kind of bit like when someone tries to sell you a watch that should be worth a couple of thousand dollars. I say, I'll give it to you for 20 bucks. And you're thinking, something tells me it's not the real thing. It's a 666 watch. As opposed to a 7 watch. The 7 watch is the Rolex. The 666 is some sort of cheap knockoff. That's what the devil is. Just short, just short, just short. But now we see some hope as we now see the precious Lamb of God and all his followers. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then I saw the Lamb. Ah, oh, yes, the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Uh, they wouldn't put the number of the, the, the beast on their forehead. They had the, number of the, the name of the lamb on their foreheads. They are sealed by the lamb. And they're singing a song in his presence. which I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. 
This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Um, 144,000, that's 12 times 12,000. We've already looked at that. It's, it's the perfect number of God's people. There they all are, redeemed from the earth. And they are singing a, a song that's really tricky, but not if you're in the club. They get it. It's, it's okay. It might have tricky time and key signatures and, and weird rhythms, but they all get it. They sing it as one. And who are they? Verse 4, they are the ones that have kept themselves as pure as virgins following the lamb wherever he goes. They have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the lamb. They have told no lies. They are without blame. They did not fit into the ways of the world, the ways of the world that had the temple cult, they, that you would have to go in there and worship the emperor and all that stuff. And it was a whole lot of sexual immorality and, and temple prostitution and horrible, horrible stuff. And God's people said, no way, I will not do it. Do to me whatever you want to, because I will not follow that way. I will follow only the lamb. But you see here that these people who have done it, who have kept themselves as pure, notice there in the third line, they have been purchased from among the people on the earth. Purchased by whom? By God. God is the one who has done it. He is the one who has given salvation. Salvation is from God beginning to end. It's not like we can go and say to God, well, what do I need to do? To get eternal life, how much do I need to pay? What do I need to? What are my acts of good works I need to do? It's like no, 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 no. God says, leave the bill to me. I'll fix this up. And He's the only one who can pay it. It's a gift from Him. And then there's a short interlude that reminds the followers of Jesus to remain faithful. And then verse seven, it says, another angel says, fear God, give glory to Him. For the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. See, the hour of judgment has come. The end is nigh. Worship Jesus or else. Because, why? Because the great city that stood against Jesus is now history. Look at this, verse 8. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Oh, you know, there, there are certain names in the world where, where you, you'll have, a, have a, a, a name of a city will conjure up just such great memories and they can be great memories or they can be sad memories. Uh, it may be a, a famous battle. There's a particular town that, that, that we, that just naming that town stirs up emotions within us. For God's people, the greatest, most evil of all towns, of cities, in fact, is Babylon. And now to hear that Babylon has failed, fallen, that is just like, really? The very essence of evil has fallen. And praise God for that. And this is the judgment upon them. Verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue, or accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand, must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath. And they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. 
the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. Judgment is coming for those who worship the beast, and it will last forever. Hell's torment will last forever. This is a deeply sober statement. Now, we find it hard to imagine that hell will go on forever and ever and ever, and there will be constant torment there. But this is what the word of the Lord tells us. And I think sometimes we find it hard because we don't really understand what it means for someone to truly blaspheme against God. And for those who have killed Christians because they follow the Lamb, we think, oh, well, well that, that wasn't very nice. What do you mean, not very nice? They deserve this. But so do we, except that we have been purchased by God and sealed by the blood of the Lamb. And so with this in mind, we're encouraged to persevere. We're getting near the end now. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. And with this comfort, we get the final act of judgment. Verse 15, another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, swing the sickle, for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. It's the grapes of wrath, the grim reaper. And so the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. God's wrath is released on the earth. It's released on the world that rejected him and his justice flows like a river. See, friends, as we see the persecution on the planet against the followers of Jesus, we rightly cry out for justice. We long for those who harm Christians to be brought to justice. And when we pray this, we pray that this would happen. We pray according to the will of God. We pray, deliver us from evil. And this is what we get. The grapes of wrath flow like a river. According to Andrew White, who was known as the Vicar of Baghdad, IS militants gave four Iraqi children the choice of converting to Islam or death by beheading. He said, Islamic State turned up and said to the children, you say the words that you will follow Muhammad. The children, all under 15, four of them said, no, we love Yeshua, which is the name for Jesus. We have always loved Yeshua. We have always followed Yeshua. Yeshua has always been with us. And then once again, the IS militants forced the children to convert. And yet again, they refused. 
and the terrorists carried out their threats. Friends, we cry out to Jesus, where are you in all this? What are you doing? What are you waiting for? Why are you letting this happen? But today we hear his answer. Patiently endure by keeping his commandments and remaining faithful to him. Because blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. They will rest from their labour or their deeds will follow them. Let me pray. Our loving Father, we do pray that you would bring an end to the persecution of Christians. And so we do long for the return of Jesus when Judgment Day will come. But Lord, as you are patient in sending Jesus back so more can return and repent, we pray that you would help us to patiently endure. And we especially pray for those who are enduring physical violence against them because they believe in the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would help them to persevere in their persecution and help us to persevere as we wait the return of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Jamru Anglican Church. For more information, head to jamruanglican.com.